If you don't mind just flicking two slides and I'll, I'll come to the Word. And put your finger in Acts chapter 4. Uh, let's skip this video. Uh, it's a funky video, but uh, I just want to sort of... This, right in the middle there is a, a young guy called Dima. He used to be an to Turkey. And now he's gone back to his home nation. And do you know what? Can I just encourage you? The, the partnership that you have a, as a church makes a real difference, but it has a face. There's people out there using the, the seed that you sow and the prayers that you pray to make a real difference in the life of people. You know, there are moments in life, and maybe this will lead into my message, where we need to decide to be different, not just from the world, but dare I say it, even from the church in a broader sense. We're in Acts chapter 4, and I want you to hear this, and then I'll come back to my text. But it says this in Acts chapter 4, and uh, we can leave him here or get rid of him, it doesn't matter. It says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is a cool guy and we're going to come back to him. Immediately after, however, it contrasts Barnabas with another infamous couple who also claimed they brought everything to put at the apostles' feet. And their name, maybe you'll know it, maybe you won't, is Ananias and Sapphira. Both claimed to bring the same thing, but one was legit and one was not. And we'll see this in the life of Barnabas a little later when we get to Acts chapter 9, if you put your fingers there. Hey, by the way, I, a couple of years ago, I met Matt in Canberra. It's so good to see Matt, by the way. I, uh, hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Keep that in mind because that's where we're going because at some point in life, we need to be the but Barnabases in life because the world may do some things. Can I even tell you awkwardly, sometimes your Christian friends will do something, but you and I need to be the but Barnabases that ignore the Ananiases and Sapphira, that ignore the way of the world and go, no, 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 no. I believe I am called by a different name, whatever my ethnic, national history might be, because he's Joseph, good, good Jewish name, a Levite. Man, he's of, the, he's of the Levite clan, a, a Cypriot. He's from Cyprus. But the apostles called him Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. See, there is a lot of things that you may have been called. It might come from your national or your ethnic background. It might be something you put a great deal of pride in. But what God says about you matters more than any of it. See, I, do you know, I actually believe we can only truly celebrate our diversity in our ethnicity. And can I tell you, at Divergent Church, we do. At Divergent, we have 44 different nations. And I get excited. You, if you ever go to Canberra, people would tell you, I get slightly unusually excited when we're at a nation. I'll be like, I get giddy because it gives us a picture of heaven. You want the great vision of God. It's Revelation 7, 9 to 12. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it bugs me that there's not enough Turks there. I want more Turks to be in that vision. I want more Arabs. I want more Syrians and Kurds to be there. You know, I was recently walking along, and as is common, in our homeland, the uh, Azan, or the Azan, went off the call to prayer, the Islamic call to prayer. It's, of course, in Arabic and uh, the vast majority of people in our nation don't actually speak Arabic. They speak Turkish, proudly Turkish. Um, and it bugged me. It always bugs me just a little bit, but I'll go into that. 
you know, during Ramadan at 3 a.m. in the morning, this guy comes around and he beats the, the, uh, the drum and he wakes up people to prepare their food that they might pray. Uh, and often the first call to prayer actually says, prayer is better than sleep. And every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm not so sure. <sighs> Seriously, dude. As a matter of fact, they then ask for money and... <clears throat> I don't want to say my flesh is speaking, but I've often wanted to give something to them, but it wasn't money. Um, I Trust me, I live on the fourth floor. Uh, a chair from the fourth floor could do a great deal of damage. It always annoys me, but not just because it's loud. But actually, the people around me, not just including myself, don't actually understand what it says truly. It's because there is another kingdom being imposed upon them, a kingdom of this world, a kingdom of another culture, a kingdom of another uh, nation as such, another ethnic group. And can I tell you, if you are Arab, you should be comfortable in who God has called you to be. But I'm not Arab. I speak Turkish, I speak English, I can say shukran, I can speak a little bit of Kurdish, but there's something that bugs me in this. There's something deeply broken about this because it's trying to speak to a world about the will of God, but in actual fact, it's preaching an entirely different idea. But every time I hear it, I'm reminded of why I'm there. Because I don't, I don't seek and serve a God who... It requires me to change my ethnicity or my culture or my language to know him. But in actual fact, John 1 tells us that he, he came and he become like one of us. He dwelt with us. He made home with us. He, he speaks your language. He understands your journey. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our brokenness, with our trials and tribulations. And sometimes the, the world around us can seem so dark and so depressive. And the only message can be stay home, stay safe, be careful, when God is like saying, no, 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 there's time for wisdom, don't mishear me, but sometimes the wisdom of God looks like foolishness to humanity. It may end your life, but if it's for the glory of Christ, then so be it. I don't want to sound dismissive, but we serve a Savior that did exactly that for us. You know, in life, I can either decide to to try to, to get angry at the dark, or I can just, well, light a candle. I can just do something about it. You know, here's the reality. The world we live in is both immensely beautiful and intensely broken. There's this tension because the finger of God is over everything. We, we turn around and you're like, man, have you ever felt the tension? I've read the Quran, of course, and the Hadith, and I have moments. This might where I'm like, man, this makes me feel uncomfortable. That's a really beautiful verse. I've read the Vedas, the Hindu Vedas, and you're like, whoa, I feel like there's a kernel of truth there. But the problem is, of course, deceit is always encapsulated within a kernel of truth. But it's still beautiful. But also implicit within this is a brokenness and, uh, and a misunderstanding of the nature of God. Everything within us, I don't know about you, but I feel a tension around it. But we must hold the beauty and the brokenness of the world in the tension that it deserves. We must be a different people. 
It says this, if you come with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and I, I want you to hear a person that doesn't see the same way everyone else sees. It says this in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and of one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in all of them, that there was no needy person among them. For from, for, for, uh, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as anyone had need. Key verse, Joseph, a Levite, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money to, uh, to put at the apostles' feet. You know, we live in a society that struggles with identity. We struggle with it nationally, we struggle with it personally, we struggle with it ethnically, we struggle with it on every single level right now, but the fact is we can truly know, we can never truly know who we are until we know whose we are. See, the reality is I, I'm an Australian. I'm from Victoria, which actually surprises people because I'm a rugby league coach. I play rugby league and people are like, ah, these things don't fit together. Used to be a Bombers fan if you're Victorian. I, I was converted many years ago to uh, the true uh, religion of uh, rugby league. If, you, if you're a union guy and hear this, I've always said this to union people. If union were truly the game they played in heaven, Jesus would have had 14 disciples. He had 12, just in case you missed that. One speaks of the laws of the game, sounds like Judaism to me. The other one, just, just saying, just saying. But I don't go for Penrith, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> we, we are created to know the intimacy of God and the intimacy of God is found in who God is. From the very beginning of creation, when Adam and Eve sinned, God comes and it says he walks in the garden and he, can I, it's important to catch this. He doesn't say, what have you done? He says, where are you? From the very beginning of the pages of Scripture and it ebbs and flows through every page of Scripture and every moment of history, God is about restoring us into relationship, us coming back into who He is. And the beautiful thing is when we understand who we are in Him, we can be better Aussies or better Kiwis, Fijians, Turks, Iranians. It doesn't matter. I love the fact that when we see Revelation 7, 9 to 12, that John sees every nation, tribe and tongue. Have you thought about that? Something of my culture and my identity, my human element is redeemed and is expressed in the ultimate kingdom of God. I think that's amazing. We don't get assimilated into some analogous blob. We are redeemed in our cultures and our identities and we become more of who we are truly called to be in Christ. We're not just called to be Josephs, no matter how much pride is in that. Or Levites, no matter how much pride is that. I'm an Aussie. My mum's Kiwi, actually, from South Island, uh, from Otago. Uh, I, I've noticed recently, I always, maybe it's coming back to uh, Australia, I hear Aussie accents, I hear uh, Kiwi accents so quickly. I go to see my family in New Zealand, and I hear South African accents everywhere. Like, and they're always praying. I just find it curious. All these South Africans talking about the Lord. 
I, we actually used to have a South African pastor in our church in uh, Divergent, and I would, honestly, as big Afrikaans dude, I was always slightly scared, just being honest. Talk, he'd be like, hey, you boy, come here, and I'd be like, I thought I was a pastor, I'm sorry. Um, can I say, there's something beautiful about who we are, but there's something greater to be found in who God has called us to be, the, the butt Barnabases. Come with me for a second because this Barnabas, who's a son of encouragement, is a bit different. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, When he, uh, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. And I love Barnabas for this. And I want you to think through this because Barnabas plays a key part in two uh, incredibly influential uh, individuals' lives. Paul, and John Mark, Paul who wrote most of the epistles, and John Mark who wrote, according to most uh, historians, the Gospel of Mark. Imagine if there were no Barnabas. It says this, but Barnabas. All the other disciples are like, no, 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 I've had negative experiences. I don't trust this group. I don't trust that group. I don't trust that person. I've had negative experiences and maybe you've had negative experiences. Maybe you've got justifications. I, I was one of those kids. I, my father uh, was a senior pastor and I had every reason for a period where I was like, I used to say, oh, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. I was pretty arrogant, to be quite honest. Um, until I had this, I don't know if you've ever had those moments when you're like still, and you probably never had this moment, and I was feeling angry about the church, self-righteous to be quite honest, and I felt like that, it was nearly like, it was definitely in silence, but a deep voice of the Lord say, if you continue to talk about my bride like this, I am going to punch you in the face. Yeah, I don't know, if you, has the Holy Spirit ever talked to you like that? That's, maybe it's just me. No, like, I'm supposed to be part of the beautifying of the bride, not the bashing of her. I want, to be, I want to be the Barnabases who see what God is doing in someone else's life and say, hey, no, no, come with me. No, I can help you start to walk in what God has called you to. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they try to kill him. It goes on for a moment, and it talks about the increase uh, of the church in this regard. You know, the interesting thing is we can see and act like a Barnabas, or we can see and act like an Ananias and Sapphira. And the Barnabas route is sort of a little bit more dangerous. I, and hear my heart in this, um, double vaxxed, all that sort of business. So let's not make this about anything like that. I don't care what you think in that sense. But we can start to fall for the vision of the world that says you should be scared all the time. You know, I, you should be scared. Be scared, be scared, be scared. There's Muslims over there. Be scared. They're going to build a mosque. Be scared. Oh no, they're going to convert your children. Be scared. No, what if, what if I actually see what is happening in the world and don't think of it in terms of fear, but of faith? That if a mosque moves in the, down the road, guess what? I now have the opportunity to love my neighbor. They just happen to be called Ahmet or Mehmet or Abdullah. Now I have an opportunity. This is, this is the, this posture of faith. I can be the butt Barnabases or I can be the Ananias and Sapphira's that's like, now I swear I'm giving it all. I'm just keeping some options in my back pockets. 
You know, I loved what you said earlier in regard to uh, your faith promise. Because there's moments in life where you're tempted to go, no, 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 the wise thing to do. The wise thing to do would be to keep it a plan B. Wow. I'm glad Jesus didn't have a plan B. I'm not very good as a plan B. I don't imagine you're very good as a plan B. He fulfilled his plan A. You know, you might remember John 8, Jesus encounters the woman who, who's brought to him, being accused of being uh, committing adultery. And they, can I tell you, the Pharisees had the law on their side. The Pharisees had the law on their side. Jesus, by the way, could have grabbed a rock and smashed her head in. I know it sounds pretty brutal. Because he was like, he who is without sin casts the first stone. Guess what? <clears throat> Jesus was without sin. Jesus could have, if he wanted, and been right within the law of God. I know this brutal sort of moment. Finished her. But Jesus, unsurprisingly, is a bit better but Barnabas than you or I can be. He extended grace. You know, so often we just see what's in front of us and we don't see what God has intended for a person. We don't use the position God has given us to promote life, to speak truth. In Ephesians 4, it talks about speaking the truth in love. And can can I remind us that to speak the truth in love, we must love people with the truth. You can't, you can't speak, you can't love someone if you lie to them. And there's a temptation in our culture, particularly in the West right now, to do so. We need to love people with the truth and speak the truth in love. There was a moment where Jesus, in theory, could have used the law, but he used grace. You know, I want to just throw you a couple thoughts just to, to wrap up here as the team gets up. There's something that happened in Barnabas, an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. He was of the Levite clan, which meant he was of a priestly heritage. He was named Joseph. He had a good prophetic name. I mean, he was a Cypriot, and I don't know what Cypriots were like in those days, but all the Cypriots I know, whether Turk or Greek, are passionate individuals, for better and worse. But the apostles called him Barnabas, a son of encouragement. And he was a son of encouragement by by name and by deed because something had happened in him. We need to remember that what happens through you must first happen in you. You know, we, we have to realize that hurt people do hurt people. And you've probably heard this before, but heal people heal people. I love the church. I do. Can I tell you, I love the body of Christ. I love her because I realize when I attack the body, I'm attacking me. What foolishness to attack part of myself in a sense. I'm not the body as a whole, but I get to participate in this. God did a work in me, and so now we have an opportunity to have a work happen through me. But here's the reality. To move forward, you must leave something behind. Barnabas, we don't even know him as Joseph. Have you noticed that? He's just Barnabas. Like, if I were to do a survey before this message and say, what was Barnabas's real name? You'd be like, Barnabas? No, it's Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. See, there's something of him that was left behind, and a valuable thing, by the way, 
I, I challenged my team in Turkey recently uh, that if they really cared about the nation we live in, uh, recently most M's have been kicked out of our nation. Uh, it's been a bit of a bloodbath recently and we're doing our best to stay. I challenged our team to actually do their best to get Turkish citizenship and then renounce their Western citizenships so they can't kick you out. And it comes with huge risk, by the way, because then they'll treat you like a national. <laughs> it's, it's a big thing when one of our guys, his uh, American, great guy, went back to his mum and said, so mum, Americans have a tendency to be pretty proud. America, he was like, I'm thinking about getting on a pathway to citizenship and then renouncing my US citizenship. I was like, she was not impressed, but then understood because for him to move into what God has called him, for all of us to move into what God has called us, we must be willing to leave what is behind. Because at the end of the day, if Jesus is not my central identity, then all other identities are idolatry. Heavy word, but it's true. Even good things. I love rugby league. I love being Aussie. I have no, I mean, I, I can tell you my, my, my story from a human perspective, but none of it matters if Jesus is not at the heart of this. You know, I love the fact that you said, sung the song in uh, Jesus' name, declaring it over my family. Because guess what? Being an Aussie doesn't save you. It doesn't. I don't, it doesn't do anything. Like, there's a lot of good things about your heritage and your call, your nation, uh, maybe your nationality. But without Jesus, it means nothing. Let's put Jesus back at the center of this. Because when we do... We can be those people that step up in opposition to the world and even opposition to portions of the church and go, no, 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 I believe.